Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. November 17th edition, taping a little earlier than usual on a Friday afternoon. So if there's any late-breaking news that doesn't make its way to you through this, I apologize in advance. As we start this thing, it's 1.17 p.m. Eastern Time. Got to hit the road here at about 2. So let's cram as much. What's the expression? Cramming 10 pounds of fecal matter into a 5-pound bag. Let's cram an hour of verbal diarrhea into a 45-minute bag or less, down to 43 minutes. The first topic I want to discuss, this flows from a report that emerged today from BuzzFeed as it relates to Buccaneers quarterback Jameis Winston. And remember, before he came to the NFL, he was accused of rape, was never prosecuted, but was sued. That case was settled. He now is accused of groping an Uber driver in March of 2016, and it's under investigation by the NFL. The matter's under review. The NFL opened the investigation. Happened in Scottsdale, Arizona. 2 a.m. on Sunday, March 13. This was 2016. The driver, known only as Kate, claims that Winston wanted to get food at a drive-thru restaurant, and then Winston reached over and just grabbed my crotch while they were waiting for the food to be delivered. He left his hand there three to five seconds. She didn't go to police because she was afraid of negative backlash, and a spokesperson for Uber says the rider was permanently removed from the app shortly after we learned of the incident. So it was reported at the time to Uber. Now, it's unclear how this became something that was communicated to the NFL. Because in situations where there isn't an arrest, where there isn't a prosecution, somehow, someway, the NFL has to become aware of misconduct that would potentially violate the personal conduct policy. I haven't seen how the NFL became aware of it. That's neither here nor there. And if it was reported at the time to the representatives at Uber, this doesn't look like something that was conveniently sat upon for some later use. And it's really a sign of the times. And look, the knee-jerk reaction by most when these claims come up after the fact is, oh, why didn't you say something at the time? Well, there's a lot of reasons why. There's a lot of reasons why people who find themselves on the wrong end of misconduct, especially of a sexual nature, choose not to do anything. Sometimes it's easier to just go about your life, act like it never happened. You turn your life upside down if you make yourself the center of attention. And now it's good that people are willing to make themselves the center of attention, unwanted attention in most situations, to speak out about things that happened in the past. If Winston did this, how stupid is he? He'd already avoided potential prosecution, prison, for an allegation of rape. 
I don't know what he paid to settle the case that the accuser brought against him. But why would you ever? Well, in the first place, why would you ever do it? But if you did anything or if you just were wrongfully accused, I think being wrongfully accused would make you even more likely to sit there, hands in your pockets, looking straight ahead, never do anything, any way, anyhow, that anyone could ever reasonably or unreasonably misinterpret as inappropriate. So the fact that you're even in this situation, facing this accusation, that's troubling. And I'd been wondering, and I hadn't really thought of the best way to articulate it, but I'd been wondering when the phenomenon that we've seen in entertainment and now in politics, when it was going to migrate to football, whether players, coaches, executives, owners, agents, anyone. When is that going to start? And are there incidents from 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago that people are going to begin to come forward with? I think it would be foolish to assume that nothing happened in this kind of rough-and-tumble, extra-testosterone, anything-goes world of the NFL, especially in the 80s and 90s. I think it'd be foolish to assume nothing happened that shouldn't have happened. The question is, will the people that it happened to come forward? And I think back to that god-awful movie, Draft Day. I guarantee you that in this climate, there would not be a storyline about how the general manager of the Browns got an employee who reports to him pregnant. Because that's textbook ground for potential sexual harassment claims when you are using your power over a subordinate to initiate a relationship. And that relationship is allowed to continue once it starts and it isn't reported to the appropriate individuals. Because how do you separate the relationship of boyfriend-girlfriend from the relationship of boss and subordinate? You can't. I was shocked by that when that storyline was allowed to make its way to what essentially was an hour and however many god-awful minutes it was commercial for the NFL. That was a horrible, shitty movie, and even though I had like a blink of an eye cameo in it, big deal. Wasted a day going to Cleveland, but also, also got a glimpse at what it feels like when somebody's making a bad movie. And I remember asking somebody on the movie crew, and I, I wasn't, here's a shock for you, I wasn't very tactful the way I put this. It was kind of blunt. But I basically said, and Jeff Darlington can vouch for this, I said to the person, when you're making a movie that is going to be bad, do you know it while you're making it? And... I probably should have chosen different words. But that storyline was inappropriate at the time, and it's even more inappropriate now. And I think of it because I wonder when we're going to start to get people from the sports world. It doesn't just have to be football, basketball, baseball, any professional sport. When is it going to begin that there were unwanted advances, that there was groping, that there was fondling, that there was inappropriate activity, that there was sexual harassment, either hostile work environment or quid pro quo. Those are the two primary kinds. Hostile work environment means just exposing someone to over-the-top, unacceptable language, behavior, etc. Quid pro quo is that boss-subordinate relationship where 
the power is leveraged for something else. I just feel like it's a matter of time. And maybe this Jameis Winston thing is the first shoe, and we're going to hear about more of it going forward. I'm going to do a full Week 11 preview coming up, but I wanted to address the issues off the field before we get to the on the field. And one more off the field issue, the biggest off the field issue that we're currently dealing with in the NFL, the never-ending saga of the commissioner versus Jerry Jones. December 13, ownership meeting. I asked the league for comment on one of two ESPN articles. And it's, I, I look, this is funny to me because it doesn't involve me directly. But you've got a couple of different camps at ESPN that are encroaching on each other's turf when it comes to this Roger Goodell, Jerry Jones story. And without question, Seth Wickersham and Don Van Atta Jr. are kicking the ass of Adam Schefter and Chris Mortensen on this. I mean, they are they are mopping the floor with them on this. And they have rival stories that came out today. And the one that came from Schefter and Mortensen and also with Todd Archer, which basically means it's primarily Todd Archer's information, but they wedge the other guy's names onto it because it makes it feel like a bigger deal. That story tries to breathe life into this reporting of how much Roger wanted, how much the compensation committee is willing to pay. And what it does is it undermines the past report from Adam Schefter that a deal was essentially done. When you look at their new report, well, there's no way in hell a deal is essentially done. They're still fighting over big dollar issues. A deal isn't done. And it's not even close to being done. And it's not something that was close and then Jerry Jones got in the way. These numbers that are reported in the latest item from Schefter, Mortensen, Archer create a picture far different from the Schefter proclamation that a deal will get done. The Van Natta and Wickersham information is much more detailed and it's much more interesting. The Jerry Jones quote about Bob Kraft, the threat slash promise that Jones made to the commissioner when Jones found out Ezekiel Elliott would be suspended, which confirms Clarence Hill's report from last week that Jerry is simply pissed off about Roger, in Jerry's belief, lying about Elliott not being suspended. And I spoke earlier today on PFT Live, and I want to mention it here in the event you didn't hear it, but I also want to mention it because I think it's very important that somebody pursue two key questions that I've yet to really see definitive answers to. And the first one is the most important. What was the specific mandate and authorization given to the Compensation Committee in May of 2017 when the owners voted 32 to nothing to authorize six of the 32 owners to go negotiate to completion a contract with Roger Goodell? What are the parameters? And I, I say that just kind of somewhat from experience because when you're dealing with a corporate client and you go to a mediation session where the goal is to try to work it out and you want to have the flexibility to work within certain parameters, they will give you a certain amount of financial, typically it's financial in a civil case, authority that you can use. Let's just say for a round number, they give you $100,000. You can settle the case up to $100,000 without making a phone call to anyone. Okay, fine. I know the limit of my authority. I go to the mediation. The plaintiff asks for $200,000. The defendant, the corporate client, offers $20,000. And at that point, it's like, well, that's never going to get done, but that's how the dance goes. 
one side starts high, the other side starts low, and you chip and you chip and you chip, and the goal is to get the two circles of the Venn diagram. Remember the, the Venn diagram? Do they, they still teach the Venn diagram? The two circles kiss, you got a deal. And, and I remember, like a point of pride, when I was practicing law and representing corporate clients, I eventually would go on to represent individuals instead, but if they gave you $100,000 in authority and you could settle the case for less than that, you're basically justifying your fee. Hey, you gave me $100,000 of authority. I settled it for $80,000. Please continue to hire my firm to do your work. I mean, that's the game. So what's the authority that the compensation committee was given? No one has reported that. There's got to be a resolution somewhere that documents exactly what those six owners are authorized to do. And Jerry's got a problem with it some way, somehow. And I think if we have that, then we can begin to understand why and how Jerry Jones has a problem and whether he has any real footing to stand on. The other question is, what does Roger Goodell want right now? And does it exceed the authority of the Compensation Committee? What would he take right now to sign his name, commit for five years beyond the expiration of his current deal, and continue to be the commissioner? What does he want? Now, I don't know that we're going to get that, but I think it's important. See, the problem is, in situations like this, the people who provide information to the media, they have a specific agenda in mind that isn't, let's get the whole truth out. It's, let's get pieces of the truth that make us look good and make the other side look bad. And you can see the patterns. With every one of these reports, it's obvious from the nature of the report which side it came from. And as I mentioned earlier today at PFT, some owners are suspecting that Daniel Snyder, the Washington owner, is providing information. The CNBC report from Scott Wapner, there's a suspicion that Daniel Snyder was the source for this notion that more than half of the owners want to wait to do the Goodell contract. That's something that comes from Jerry's side of the ledger. So this thing is going to continue to be a mess, and we're never going to have a complete picture until we know, number one, what was the mandate of the Compensation Committee? Number two, what does Roger Goodell want to make this end right now? The bigger picture question, as you look at Jerry Jones, and he's 74, 75 years old, and he's become a pain in the ass for a lot of the owners over the last year, is this an isolated incident with Roger Goodell, or is this the beginning of a new era of Jerry Jones' ownership of the Cowboys? Is it going to be an issue like this constantly? Once Jerry Jones and Roger Goodell and the NFL work out however this gets worked out, does Jones move on to something else that he doesn't like, that the other owners want to do? Then does he move on to something else? Is he becoming the new Al Davis? That's the question that people are asking. And one of the biggest responses to this notion that Jerry Jones won't be punished severely, won't face losing his franchise, won't face a suspension, is that the NFL never did it to Al Davis. But look, I'm told that that's one of the reasons why they're being as aggressive as they are with Jerry Jones. They don't want another Al Davis. They don't want an owner to be like Al Davis was. They want to get ahead of this. They want to nip this in the bud before it becomes a big deal. So... Look, I don't know how long this is going to last, and it's the last thing the NFL wants. At a time when the NFL is banging on everyone who will listen, let's get back to football, let's get back to football. Well, NFL, let's get back to football. 
NFL. Let's work this thing out, NFL. Let's take care of your business. Let's quit airing out dirty laundry. Let's get this thing resolved and move forward. And frankly, look, I don't know what impact it has over the long haul for the NFL. What does it mean to the league? Short term, it's good for my business. Short term, I got no complaints. Short term, all I got to do is pull up my little page here that shows real time all the traffic. I see which stories people are reading. They can't get enough of this Jerry Jones, Roger Goodell thing. I mean, when have we ever had this in the NFL? It's basically a palace coup. And what happens if Jones loses? You think Roger Goodell's not going to hold a grudge? You don't know Roger Goodell very well if you think he's not going to hold a grudge. He'll act like he's not holding a grudge, but I guarantee you he's going to hold a grudge. Rich, powerful men hold grudges when someone tries to take away their riches and or their power. Or, really, over anything else. But definitely, you attack my money, you attack my authority, I'm going to attack you. And I'll get you. Oh, one of these days I'll get you. And it will all be done in a way that looks like it has no connection whatsoever. But it will. So this is a new normal for the NFL. However this resolves, there has been a fundamental change in the way the NFL operates. And it will continue to be that way for as long as Jerry Jones is an owner. And at a minimum for as, as long as Roger Goodell is the commissioner. All right, let's get on to the week 11 preview. I'm going to rip through the games one at a time with my own take, with my own spin. I'm not going to give you analytics. I'm not going to give you next-gen stats. I'm going to tell you what I think. And if you like it, keep listening. Lions at Bears. I think the Lions better be careful. They better not crap their pants in Chicago. They better not be focused on the Vikings coming up on Thanksgiving because that's a recipe for having the Bears beat you, and they aren't going to have Ziggy Ansah against the Bears. Now, the question is, will John Fox make yet another stupid coaching decision that delivers victory to the Lions? But the Lions are in a mode right now where they have winnable games. And for them, the key game is Thanksgiving versus Minnesota. They've won at Minnesota. They face Minnesota at home. If they win that game, I think they win the division. And look, if the Vikings lose to the Rams on Sunday and the Lions beat the Bears... That game on Thursday is essentially for first place in the NFC North because if the Lions win, they're tied at 7-4, and four, and the Lions have the tiebreaker. So the Lions need to focus. Ed Golden Tate on the program recently. You can find the audio. It's in both the PFTPM podcast, and it's also posted at profootballtalk.com. I like Golden Tate, and he understands the importance of taking it one game at a time. He said something that reminded me of the Seahawks the team he spent his first four seasons with. We just want to go 1-0 and every week. Remember we hear that from the Seahawks? 1-0 and every week. It's one of the things he brought to Seattle. It was funny, too, because he said, there's some things I brought, and there's some things I left behind. And I thought, ooh, what would you leave behind? And he didn't, get, he didn't give me anything. I, I bet he left some stuff behind. There's a lot of dysfunction in that Seattle log. A lot of dysfunction. So take the good leave the dysfunction, and maybe the Lions can get back to the playoffs and actually win a playoff game for the first time since 1991. Jaguars at Browns. Be careful, Jaguars. Danger, Jaguars. The Browns aren't horrible. They're winless, and they've won one game since the start of last season, but they're not horrible, and they can beat you. 
The reason the Jaguars were win one, lose one for the first six weeks of the season, Calais Campbell told me this after they beat the Steelers. I said, Calais, how is it that you're so good one week and then lose the next? He said, it's maturity. Maturity will lead to consistency. We're a young, immature team. Well, young, immature teams show up in Cleveland thinking all we got to do is walk out of the tunnel and the scoreboard is going to go to 50. It's not how it works, obviously. Jaguars, the young Jaguars need to understand they have to take care of business. They can't screw around with the Browns. The Browns are going to win at some point this year. I don't think I'm venturing too far out onto a limb when I say the Browns will win at some point this year. I'm willing to put my name behind that. They've got, they've got, they've got Jacksonville at Cincinnati, at the Chargers, Green Bay, Baltimore, at Chicago, at Pittsburgh. Maybe they won't win this year. Never mind. Jaguars need to assume that the Browns will win on Sunday or the Jaguars will lose. Ravens at Packers. You know, the Packers, and I've said this this week, the Packers, oof, they can pull themselves into playoff contention and they could pull themselves into the Super Bowl because if they get in, if they get the five seed, the six seed, or if they somehow win the division, you can run the table with a healthy Aaron Rodgers. And we've seen those runs that they have. The question is getting those runs to happen in late December and into really early February. The Ravens can put a major crimp in that plan by beating the Packers. They've lost their last two games at home by double digits. The Packers managed to beat the Bears. I thought the Bears would win. I think the Ravens will win this weekend, but what the hell do I know? This is one of those what the hell do I know games. It can go either way. But the Ravens have extra time to get ready, and I think the Ravens understand the margin for error is getting smaller for them, and they need this one badly. Cardinals-Texans, the only thing I can really say about this game, Drew Stanton or Blaine Gabbert versus Tom Savage and then maybe T.J. Yates, and where in the hell is Colin Kaepernick? Where is he? One other thing about Kaepernick. I saw an item from Charles Robinson of Yahoo. I'll write about this at PFT, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow, that Mark Garrigus, the lawyer who represents Kaepernick in his collusion grievance, plans to dig into this Papa John's criticism of the NFL being instigated by Jerry Jones, because this is just one of those things where you have a legitimate way to try to drive a wedge and create problems. When you have a viable legal claim against an organization or really against anyone, it gives you kind of a license to get into other things that are very uncomfortable and can cause problems. And the message is, hey, if you want to avoid these problems that may naturally arise from the existence of this litigation, you better settle the damn case. So I was fascinated by that. I'm not fascinated by this game. Neither teams make it to the playoffs. Adrian Peterson, I think, is the difference maker for the Cardinals. I think he's due to have a big game in Houston. Larry Fitzgerald's got that new contract, and I really don't think it guarantees he's going to play next year. I think it guarantees that people are going to assume he will play next year, so he won't be asked about, are you going to retire? Are you going to retire? Are you going to leave as a free agent? Are you going to be with the Cardinals next year? That question is now off the table, even though I think that question should still be on the table. Buccaneers at Dolphins. It's do or die for the Dolphins. It's really do or die for the Buccaneers. I thought it was funny when Ryan Fitzpatrick said, we've got the talent to go on a winning streak. Well, why haven't you? It's an indictment of the coaching staff to say that. Anytime anyone with a football organization says, we've got plenty of talent, the message is the coach isn't doing enough with it. Buccaneers lose this game. Dirk Cutter's in trouble. I don't think Adam Gase is in trouble one way or the other because the Dolphins were so dysfunctional before him and they're getting their act together. This is just year two of a rebuild And last year, they got lucky and made it to the playoffs. This year, I don't think they make it to the playoffs. This year, I think the goal should be just to get to 500. Finish 8-8. And and you can feel good about where you're heading into 2018. Rams at Vikings, game of the day. 7-2 versus 7-2. Great 
Vikings defense versus great Rams offense. Vikings beat a team with a similar offense on Sunday in Washington. I think that counts for something. Mike Zimmer draws up a great game plan. I think that counts for something. What can Case Keenum do against his old team, against the team that that cast him aside once Jared Goff became the first overall pick and Keenum started maybe nine games last year? Does he have extra motivation? What's his motivation? Is it to stay on the field with his current job or is it to get back at the Rams for benching him last year or all of the above? I talked to Keenum after the win on Sunday over Washington and he said, you know, you get a little extra juice when you're facing a former team, and I think he will. And this game, the winner of this game, in great position. Loser of this game has to really start sweating. Even at 7-3, and three, you have to start sweating. It just changes the vibe. Think about that. 8-2 and two versus 7-3. and three. It's a one-game difference, but it feels bigger than that, doesn't it? 8-2, and two, you're in great shape. 7-3, and three, especially when you consider that it would put the Rams in second place in their division if the Seahawks win on Monday night because the Seahawks already won in L.A. and they host the Rams later this year. And what the Lions can do by catching the Vikings, it, it really feels like a special season, a, a potentially special season all of a sudden becomes, okay, let's see if we can scratch, scratch, scratch and scrape and claw our way into the playoffs. Chiefs at Giants, why bother? Giants win this one? I'll be shocked. The Chiefs are excellent coming off of the bye because Andy Reid is excellent coming off of the bye. They're wasting their coming off of the bye weekend on the Giants. Crazier things have happened. And you know what? One of the things I thought of when Tyrod Taylor got benched is Alex Smith needs to worry about this too. And remember, I brought it up a week and a half ago and people thought I was crazy for suggesting it. They lose to the Giants coming off of the bye and Alex Smith throws a couple of picks I don't think it's so crazy to wonder about Patrick Mahomes getting an opportunity to turn things around. It's very easy to say we're all in with Alex Smith when you're 5-0. 6-3, and 1-3 oh. in the last four games. If they would lose to the Giants, who knows? Washington at the Saints. Boy, the Saints are good. The Saints right now, I had thought the Seahawks were the likely team to get to the Super Bowl. Right now, I'd say the Saints because you have the experience of Sean Payton and Drew Brees. Plus, you have balance offensively and defensively, plus you have balance on your offense between running and passing. If anything, they're skewed more toward the run. Washington, they're better than 4-5, and five, but there's just something about this team where they can't finish. They can't win games that maybe they should. I know they play some great teams this year, and that could make them very well suited to be competitive in the postseason if they can get there. I don't think they can get there. And if they don't get there, I look at Jay Gruden as maybe the surprise firing this year. Maybe. It'd be two straight years without the playoffs for Jay Gruden. Bills at Chargers. Nathan Peterman era begins. I like the Chargers at home in this one. You know, there's a thought that LaShawn McCoy will have a big day because of Peterman, and the Chargers have been bad against the run. Well, they were bad against the run until they got Denzel Perryman back, and you just key on the run and force Peterman to beat you. So this is an opportunity for the Chargers to pull their way back into it because the Bills currently hold the sixth seed, and you get the feeling that they're willingly conceding the sixth seed. I still continue to believe they did not want to make the playoffs with Tyrod Taylor because they want to move on from him and they want to find their franchise quarterback. Bengals at Broncos, who cares? Really, who cares? Two years ago, these two teams were playing for a bye. Late season, Monday Night Football. This year, same field, a lot of the same players. I don't care. Patriots, Raiders, blowout. Patriots, 
a blowout that will cause Mark Davis to ponder whether or not he should get into the I want John Gruden sweepstakes. Mark it down. If there's a blowout. Because this was the year the Raiders were supposed to challenge the Patriots. If they lose 42-10, to 10, mark it down. Last game of the day, Eagles at Cowboys. You know, I don't know why I picked the Cowboys to win this game. It's a divisional matchup. I know the Eagles are better. I know the Cowboys are going to be shorthanded without Ezekiel Elliott and Tyron Smith and Sean Lee. I just feel like this is going to be one of those nights where it clicks. This is one of those nights where you set aside everything you think you know, and you just recognize that when two rivals get together and they beat the hell out of each other, sometimes the better team loses just because it's a rivalry. And the Cowboys have their backs against the wall. I still think the Eagles are going to win the division. I don't think this is going to spark some dramatic fall by the Eagles or some tremendous run by the Cowboys. But for one night in Dallas, I think that the Cowboys are going to find a way to get it done. All right. Clock is ticking on me here. Let's see some of these questions. And and again, I don't. I, it's not like it's... This is mainly my excuse if the answers suck. I don't look at them until I open it. All right, I'm going to open it. Oh, there aren't that many questions. Let me refresh the page. Looks like there's only eight. So, there. Yeah, hey, I'll, I'll answer... I'll answer whatever is here, assuming there is no inappropriateity in it. <laughs> and the first one, I mean, you can pull it up and look at it. The first one, inappropriate. Uh, at the Impact 99, could the NFL having games in London and Mexico City be their way of scouting future, bowl des- future Super Bowl destinations? Happy Friday. Happy Friday, Jeremy. Uh, no. There was some talk one time several years ago about the Super Bowl being played in London. And really, 99.999% of all NFL fans watch it on TV anyway. And the London games look no different than American games. The Mexico City game looks no different than the American game. I think the NFL kind of likes this vague sense that maybe they would do it. But they're not exporting the Super Bowl ever. You'd have to have a team there at a minimum. And even then, they're not exporting the Super Bowl. Fun to think about. And fun to dangle it to fan bases in other countries that you want to get excited about spending money and devoting time to following the NFL. Don't see it happening. Another one from At The Impact 99. Thank you, Jeremy. You should be working this afternoon, Jeremy. You're going to get yourself in trouble. We talk about Kaepernick not being in the league. What about RG3? Seems like his knee should be healed by now. It's not a matter of his knee. It's a matter of his style. Remember in Cleveland... There was all this talk about how he's going to protect himself. Throw the ball away. One point he threw the ball like over the fence of the practice facility and landed in the backyard of a nearby house just to prove his point, that he knows how to throw the ball away and live to fight another day. And then what does he do week one, 2016? Drops a shoulder into the chest of an Eagles defensive back, messes up his shoulder and misses most of the year. He doesn't know how to stay healthy. I'm not sure he's willing to accept the full role of a backup quarterback. If you're not willing to accept that role, you're less attractive to a team that wants you. And also, and this gets back to that whole Colin Kaepernick football-only argument that you don't want a backup who has a different style than your starter. Although there are plenty of teams who have a mobile quarterback and a pocket passer as the backup. I just think all things considered with RG3, the injury history, the unwillingness to adjust his game to stay healthy, maybe the unwillingness to be a backup, and, and just all of the, the other stuff. At least he got a workout. At least he got a chance to go show the Chargers what he can do. That's more than what Kaepernick got. 
At Paul PJ5, what do you think about the people like at Sean King who think the Tyrod Taylor benching is a race issue? I heard that also from Nick Wright. And that's Sean King, not Sean King, the former NFL quarterback. It's Sean King of the New York Daily News. I don't think it's a race issue. Look, they made Tyrod Taylor their quarterback. And they gave him an opportunity to become the franchise quarterback. They decided he won't be. Now, if he was white, would they have given him more time? I, I don't. I, I, God, I, this is where naivete comes through, and maybe I really am naive about this. I'd like to think, I want to think, I need to think that that's no longer an issue when it comes to the quarterback position. And I don't think there's a double standard anymore. I don't think that Deshaun Watson, for example, was picked 12th overall and would have been the first overall pick if he had done the exact same things and he were white. He had 17 interceptions in his next to last year at Clemson, and 13 last year. That was a red flag. Teams were concerned. He elevated his play to a higher level. Look at it this way. If you would redo the draft right now, he'd be the first overall pick. Well, not right now with the torn ACL, but you know what I'm saying. Before the torn ACL, if you'd have redone the draft, he'd have been the first overall pick, without question. So, I, I like to think that football decisions, substantive football decisions are made not based on race anymore. They were at one time, but I think this decision is the result of the Bills concluding that Tyrod Taylor is not going to be their franchise quarterback. And there are black and white franchise quarterbacks. I mean, Cam Newton was the first overall pick in the draft. He was the NFL's MVP. And I think that motivated Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean more than anything. You know the value of having a true franchise quarterback. It gets people jobs as GMs and coaches. So you want a franchise quarterback. You don't want to scratch and claw every year to try to get into the playoffs and never make it. And if you do, you lose in the divisional round at best. You want a guy who puts you in contention every year. And the question in late December is, am I the one seed, the two seed? Do I have a bye week? How many points am I going to win these games by? That's what everybody wants. And it doesn't matter whether it's Cam Newton or Matt Ryan. It doesn't matter whether it's Russell Wilson or Tom Brady. Russell Wilson didn't fall to the third round because he's black. He fell to the third round because he's 5'10". I've stood next to him. I don't care what he's listed as. I'm as tall as Russell Wilson, which actually makes me feel pretty good. I'm as tall as Drew Brees. Makes me feel pretty good. Then I realize how much better athletes they are than me, and it makes me feel pretty bad. At T.E. Gensler 14, how likely is it that the NFL goes to two bye weeks and keeps Thursday football? Each team plays on Thursday coming out of their one of their byes. Here's the problem with... Having bye weeks for the teams who play on Thursday night. You can't have Thursday night all year. I mean, think about it. You'll have bye weeks in week one. The two teams that are supposed to play in week two on Thursday night won't play in week one. It's going to screw up the whole concept of the bye. So then you play Thursday night of week two as your first game of the season. You get a mini bye on the back end, and then you play all your other games consecutively. It's not going to work that way. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think the NFL is going to expand Saturday football in December because the broadcast antitrust exemption prohibits the NFL from broadcasting Friday or Saturday games until sometime after like the first weekend in December, something like that. I think there'll be expanded Saturday football, maybe double headers on Saturdays in December to fill up the NFL network inventory so they can keep charging whatever it is they charge for their channel. And then Thursday night football shrinks to, I don't know, six, eight games. Get them done before Thanksgiving. Get them done before November. Get them done before whatever matchup 
you put together in April that looks good ends up being a piece of crap by the time you play the games because you can't flex. And I think they'll find a way to structure the Thursday night football package so the two teams that play on Thursday do have a bye on the prior Sunday. I think that's what's going to happen as soon as next year because the Thursday night football package is up for bid next year. Well, this year. New package in effect next year. Let's see what other questions we have. At Goble Like Noble, do Paul Allen's side-squeezing antics give you an inherent bias against the Minnesota Vikings? Officially, I hate all teams equally. I like giving Paul a hard time about the Vikings because he is so over the top. And the next time he grabs my sides, he likes to grab your sides. I swear I'm going to punch him right in the face. He knows it's coming. He, he is assuming the risk of getting punched in the face because I've told him it very much offends me to be touched like that. I don't like being touched like Psycho from Stripes, Francis. Last question of the day, C-Crawl. Why does Chris Sims hate the Seahawks so much? Did they beat him in a big game or turn him down for a free agent visit? Well, they definitely didn't take his spleen. That was the Panthers. And I've sensed no bias against the Panthers. So if he doesn't hate the team that took his spleen, why would he hate the team that didn't take his spleen? And that's all the logic I am capable of applying. So on that note, we'll call it a week. We'll do the PFTPM podcast on Monday. Fifth down territory edition, five down territory, whatever the hell I call it. Shit, I don't remember. It's been a long week. I'm off to New York City for the weekend. Check us out all weekend long at profootballtalk.com. Sunday night football, football night in America. Cowboys hosting the Eagles. It should be a great weekend of football. And as always, I mean, on, on Sundays, we have like 100 stories. So please check us out. And if you're still listening, you know the routine. Subscribe to the podcast. Rate the podcast, review the podcast if you haven't already. If you have, thank you very much. Thanks for some of your time. We will do this again on Monday. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave.